And let's turn to the first letter from the Apostle John that God has given to us through his servant. And we'll be considering chapter 2, verses 3 through 14 today. As we continue working through this letter, taking as the theme, joyful fellowship with God and man, which is the purpose for which he wrote this letter, that we might have fellowship with one another, and also our fellowship being with the Father and the Son. So let's listen to God's holy word, 1 John chapter 2, verses uh, 3 through 14. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know We are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have given us your word to teach us, to show us light in the way. We thank you, O Lord, that the light is shining and the darkness is passing away. We pray, O Lord, that you would cause that light to shine more in our hearts, that you would disperse the darkness, and that we would go forth from this place ready to walk in the light in a way that we never have before. For, O Lord, we need your grace. We need your power. We're like those who are in need of your, we are in those who are in need of your spirit to enable us to walk in your ways, to walk in your commands, to walk in the way of love. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us your grace today that you would enable us to hear, that you would enable us to understand, that you would enable us to understand our lives and our situation so that we might apply your word to it. Oh, Lord, we are in need of your help to do this. And so, Lord, speak today, speak to our hearts, transform us, renew us. We pray and beg of you in Jesus' name, amen. So the key question that we're asking as we look through this is, how do we live in fellowship with God and man? And that's because that's what John is explaining to us. What is it like to live in that joyful fellowship with God and with his people, and by extension with all people, that brings us joy and glorifies God and blesses everyone around us? Well, the answer is really described here, and two of the key components of living in joyful fellowship with God and man are described here. The first is obedience to God's commands, and then the second is loving our brothers and sisters. And so those will be the first two points that we're going to look at. 
And then the third point will be an encouragement that John gives. And that will help us to see that the whole letter is designed to encourage them. It's not his expectation as he's, he challenges them to walk in the light is that they, they will see that they are walking in the light. They'll be encouraged in that and that they'll want to continue doing that more and more. So let's consider those things together. The first thing we see is that John tells us if we know him, then we, we will keep his commandments. We know that we've come to know him. How? If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. And so, as you look at this word, you notice that he connects obedience to knowing. And so that word to know, sometimes we use it kind of in a very, you might say, intellectual sense, where it's just we know a fact. But uh, in, 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 sometimes in our language as well, but also in the original language, it usually denotes something more, something that we might say we know it not only with our head, but with our heart, and also even like have, we, have, we could even translate it, perhaps we have a relationship with him, that we know him and have sort of this intimate communion, joyful fellowship, we might even say. We know that we have this if we've come to obey his commands. And so some questions that might come out of this statement is first, why, why does he connect knowing God with obedience? Well, if we are to know God as God, then we would know that we are completely dependent upon him, that he is the Lord of the universe, that he has saved us, and we are, owe everything to him. And so if we really know that in our heart of hearts, then how can we not respond but by doing what he asks us to do? He is the Lord. He knows all things. Everything he commands is right and good. So why would we not obey him? So if we know him, then we will want to obey him. Now, the idea of commands can sometimes be, seem a little bit painful to us because it feels like it may destroy us, telling us to do something that's not in accord with who we are. And sometimes the commands that we get from other people or things they try to force us to do are things that would cause us to lose ourselves. But in the case of God, it's not that way. In fact, he says whoever wants to find themselves should lose themselves. In other words, find themselves in God in complete submission to his will, laying, him, laying ourselves down and saying, we're not our own, we belong to him. Now, another question that comes up is, does this mean that we have to obey the commandments in order to be saved? Well, notice very carefully what he says. He doesn't say, if you, if you obey his commands, then you will know him. He says, if you know him, then you will obey his commands. So what we see is that obedience to God's commands is the fruit of our relationship with God and our salvation. It is not the root of it. It is the necessary result of knowing God. When he saves us, he saves us unto something to become that obedient people that he created us to be. And so we can know that we're saved by the fact that we obey God's commands. Just like we know what an apple tree is by seeing apples growing on the tree then you know it's an apple tree. If you see obedience to God, you know that the people have been saved. Now, people hear this, though. Immediately, they're going to ask, well, I've broken the commands of God, and indeed, I would say daily, I break them in thought, word, and deed. Does that mean I'm not saved? Well, remember what I told you last week, and if you didn't hear that sermon, you can go back and listen to it or watch it on our website, evergreentn.com, and, and listen to what is said there, because it's important for the whole context because you're going to hear things that sound like you got to be perfect in order to be, if you're really a Christian, then you'll be absolutely perfect. 
But you've got to take all of that in the light of what is said at the beginning, which says, if we say we have no sin, then we're a liar, and the truth is not in us, and so we need to be confessing our sins. And when we see our sin, we go to our advocate and the Father. So whatever John means by obeying his commands, it can't mean that we do it perfectly or without any sin or whatsoever or that we never fall. And so we need to understand what that, what that means. And what it means is, in essence, that this is the direction of our lives, that we want to obey the Lord, that we want to follow not just some of his commands, but all of his commands, that we want to, that when we see that we have sin, that we confess it, we're grieved by it, and that we want to move again in that direction of obedience. That is what it means to be a person who obeys his commands in the context of sin. So let's look a little bit more deeply. What does it mean then to obey God's commands? Well, I think there's three questions that you need to know to ask in order to, to find out what does it mean to obey God in our daily life. The first is, what are the specific commands that God gives? And you could find a summary of what God wants us to do in a variety of places. One is the Ten Commandments. Another is the Fruit of the Spirit. Another is the Sermon on the Mount. Another is Romans 12, 9 through 21. And I would encourage you to be very familiar with a couple of those at least so that you can use those as a way of asking yourself, is my life lining up with what God wants me to do and to be? But then we also have to ask ourselves about our, our own, about who God has made us to be. That's part of what God wants us to do is based on who we are. So, for example, what are my roles? Am I a father? Then God has called me to lead my children. Am I a son? Then God has called me to honor my parents? Am I a member of the church? Then I should honor the elders and encourage the brethren. Am I a pastor? Then I should preach and teach, and so on. So we all have a specific situation in which God has put us that we should submit to and seek to obey in that context. And then the third thing is, what are our opportunities? So very sim- somewhat similar to the last one, but it's looking outside. What, can I, what good can I do in the world? Um, what, are, what are the places where I can serve? That also includes looking at our own gifts. Who are the people that God has brought into my life? Um, what resources do I have available? And how, can I, how then can I serve the Lord? Sometimes that means we, we may not have a lot of things we can do. We may be sick or ill. But then we have an opportunity to serve the Lord by being sick and being ill in a way that would glorify God and shows our dependence upon him and our need for him and so on. So it's what is God's commands? What are the gifts or the, uh, who has he made me to be? And then third, what are my opportunities? And that shows us how to obey God's commands. Now John wants to enforce that point. He wants to, to emphasize obeying God command, God's commands. And he says first that in verse 5, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Now, this could mean two things, because it could be translated the love of God. It could mean, one, that the love that God has put in us for him is made complete. So if we really love God, then we will do what he has commanded us to do. Or it could, or it could mean that when we see the love of God, we understand, when we really love him, that will motivate us to obedience. And both are true. And it's perhaps a little difficult to know exactly which one he is referring to. And maybe we just take both. But then he also tells us that, that we know that we are in him because we are to live as Jesus lived. Listen to verse 
6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And notice uh, um, when Jesus talks about obedience, he, he makes the same point in John 15, verses 9 through 10. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you can keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So what did, what did Jesus do while he was on earth? He didn't just ask, what do I want to do? He asked, what does the Father want me to do? And that directed his life. And so he's saying, now I command you, and you are to let that direct your life. And that is how we live as Jesus lived. And there's many other things as well. And so, as we look at this, we can see that this is what God has called us and made us to be. He has called us to be a people who are obedient to God's commands. And sometimes, again, people get nervous about that just because today we don't like the idea of commanding, people commanding us. Our kind of our tendency is someone tells us to do something, like we have to get a vaccine. No, I'm not going to get that vaccine. I have to wear a mask, or you can't wear a mask, or you can't get a vaccine. We say the opposite, right? And we don't like the idea of someone commanding us to do, especially we're, we're Americans, we're free, we're, we're free here, and we want to emphasize our independence. So the idea that God would command us to do something seems somewhat like that to a lot of people. But we need to see that unlike a, a lot of other commands we get in our life that are, are not, are, may be good, may not be good, what God commands us is good. And this is what we were created to be. So we were created to be such a people that when God said do something, we would just do it. If he said be something, we would be that. If, if, if he didn't want us to do something, we wouldn't do it. And that's what he created us to be. And so when he saves us and restores us to what we were intended to be, we become that obedient people, and that's where we find the joy, is in living as God has made us to be. And so we don't have to fear obeying God's commands or living in submission to him because everything he says is right. It may be hard at first, but the more we do it, and the more he works in us, and the more he grows us, then we get used to it, and we find this is the way to live. Now, here's, here's just one. Let me just focus this a little bit more to, to help you see what does it mean really to be, live as a person who lives out of the commands of God. So this, this is something I'd like you to take away. And I'd like you to ask this throughout this week. As you're thinking about your day, as you're thinking about your week, ask yourself, what does God want me to do with this week? What does God want me to do with this day? What would his agenda be for me? Our, our habit is just to ask, what do I have to do or what do I want to do? But to begin with the question, what does God want me to do? What would he tell me to do this day in order to serve him? And then be ready for the answer. So begin to ask, what does God want me to do? Now, John zeroes in on one specific thing that God wants us to do. Look at what he says in 1 John 2, 7 through 8. Dear friends, I'm writing to you a new, not a new command, but an old one. And that command is to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what he's writing about. He, it's funny because he calls it, he says, I'm not writing to you a new commandment. And then he says, I am writing to you a new commandment. Now, why does he say that? 
Well, because in one sense, this is the old commandment. God created human beings to live in community with one another, to love one another, to serve one another, and to be happy in doing so. And so that's always been the obligation for human beings. It's an obligation that God told us. It's an obligation that God made in us. But Jesus says it's a new command. Why? Because no one ever showed us what it was really like to love until Jesus came. And he showed us what love really was by loving, by serving, by, by teaching us, and then by laying down his life for his people. So it's a new command in that we have Jesus' example, which shows us what love really is. And now why does, why does John, when he's talking about obeying the commandments, emphasize this one command, love, love one another, why does he emphasize this so much? And the answer is because Jesus himself did. Listen to what he says in John 13, 34 through 35. This is Jesus speaking while he was on earth. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so what Jesus is saying is that this is the big one. Love one another. And this is how people will know that you're following me. By the way that you love one another. And that's in essence exactly what John says. He's saying you want to know that you know the Lord? That you're walking in the light? Then know it by how you love one another. Listen to what he says in verses 9 and 10. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. And so, in other words, we know by the fruit of love that we are walking in the light. What does it mean, then, for us to love other people? I think it's important to to try and clarify this. John doesn't necessarily give us a definition, but I'm just taking from what he says in the rest of Scripture's to kind of give you a summary of what it means to to love, um, because there's a lot of confusion about it today. One is, so let me, three things that it means to love. One is that we value other people, that we value them, that we think they matter, we think they're significant. If you love something, you think it's good. And so loving is seeing that other people are good. Secondly, it means that we have fellowship with them. One of the things I love about this is that he says that we are, to have, we are to have fellowship with people. That's how we love. Because, you know, we could say like, hey, I love my neighbors. I love the people around me. And then never talk to them. Because we have this kind of sentiment in our heart. But I think it's, but, we can't, but you can't really say, hey, I fellowship with my neighbors. I fellowship with my church and never see them. That doesn't make any sense. Because fellowship implies getting together. So love moves to communion, to connection, to fellowship. And then, thirdly, loving other people means being interdependent with them. In other words, that we're willing to give to them and we're willing to receive from them. And, you know, there's kind of this sense, again, in our society, our independence, that we shouldn't get anything from other people, and if we do, we're kind of like just leeches or we're bad. 
And so it leads us to say we can only give and we feel bad if someone gives to us. No, we should be ready to give, but we should also be ready to receive. We build community by the things we give and by the things that we receive. We shouldn't just do one or the other. We should do both. So, so love is value, fellowship, interdependence. But So then you can know what hatred means because he also says that we can know that we're in the darkness by the fact that we have hatred for others. So what does that mean? It means we have contempt for others. That we have contempt for others. That we don't value them. That we tend to look down on them. That we despise them. That is the first part. Secondly, we isolate from them. We don't want to have anything to do with people. And then also an unwillingness to help them or to be helped by them. It is we want to have nothing to do with them. Now, as we talk about love, as we talk about love, we know it's nice to have this definition, but we know that, and to say, yeah, let's get out there and just love. But we know that as soon as someone says something to us that shows contempt towards us or does a serious harm, then it becomes really hard to love, right? So how, how does this work itself out? I think it's really important for us to see this. The first thing is that we can say that Jesus taught us how to do it. We have his example of the man who, being crucified, prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So even when he was being insulted, mocked, tortured, he was able to keep loving. We have his example. And so, and we also should say we have his power. Jesus is not just out there. His spirit lives within us to enable us to live like that. And we may wonder sometimes, well, if we went through these terrible things, how would we be able to do it? Well, God will give us what we need when we need, when we need to do it. And he will be with us to enable us to love. But what I want to encourage you to do is to learn to think about, when you're thinking about love, how do we really learn to value people? How do we learn to be patient with people? And how do we learn to not get bitter and keep loving in the midst of all the shocks of life? When people do all kinds of crazy things. That's what we've got to find a way to think through. And John gives us one way here, but there's many other ways to look at it. Because what he says to us is that to love is to live in the light. To hate is to live in the darkness. And so here's my question that I I think through when I ask about how when things get hard. If someone hates me or does something that shows hatred then that is the darkness. And why would I want to descend to the darkness just because that person is in darkness? No, I want to be in the light. That's where the joy is. And so when we can keep loving, even in the midst of the darkness, then we can experience the light and we can keep ourselves and we can keep the joy that God gives us. So that's just one way to look at it. But let me encourage you to find a way to think through things that will help you to love even when it's difficult. And let me just give you one practical example that I've been using, is driving. You know, it's interesting. People, people look at other people when we're driving around in a way that they wouldn't if they were just talking to them face to face. And we're quick to judge other people, why they've done wrong, and when they do wrong, you know, we punish them by honking our horn you know, and things like that. Well, what if we, we just said, this, I'm driving here. This is an opportunity to say, I value everyone here. 
I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to be patient when things go wrong. And that's an opportunity we all have to practice, and then we can take that into the rest of our lives. So that's, that's one way you can practice being a general lover of people is in how you drive. Now, so those are two things that show that we are to, uh, that we are in the light and that we know him. And some of this may feel a little discouraging. But that's not how John intended it. Look at what he says in verse 8 of chapter 2. He says, I'm, I'm writing you a new command. The truth of it is seen in him, in Jesus, and in you. And in you. In other words, he's saying, when I talk about love, I'm talking about y'all. I see it in you all. And, and one thing you'll find is that, is that um, you know, the apostles, the New Testament, well, the rest of the Bible as well, is definitely willing to speak about the fact that we are, are far from where we should be, that we have sin. But it's also very encouraging. Look at how often the apostles will talk to the congregations and say, I give thanks to God for you because of your faith and because of your love, and it's known everywhere, and we're thankful for it. And so what he's saying is they were doing this. And he writes this section in verses 12 through 14 as a way of kind of saying, I want you to know that when I'm talking about people who know the Lord and obey his commands, when I talk about people who are walking the light, that is you. That's what I'm talking about. And so he he speaks in terms of, of three groups. He says, I'm writing to children, I'm writing to fathers, and I'm writing to young men. Now, this could be taken in two different ways. It could be taken in the sense of young men, meaning, or it could be t- taken in the sense of those who are physically of that age. In other words, people who are of literally physically born recently or children, and then of those who are a little bit older, and then fathers who are a little bit older. So it could refer to physical age. And that's not, that's not impossible, but I think it, it makes a little more sense to me to refer to it to a sort of spiritual states, especially in light of what he says about them. In other words, to refer to those who've just become Christians, to those who have had to battle a little bit, and those who've been Christians a long time. And so children, young men, and fathers. And so then you would read it this way. What does he say to the children? He said, I write to you because your sins are forgiven. In other words, you may not have much experience in the faith, you may not have done a lot, but whatever it is, you're in a good state with the Lord because your sins are forgiven. You come to him and you got a fresh start. Young men, you've been Christians a little while. You've, you've walked in the light a while and you've faced the trials because anyone who's a Christian any length of time is going to face difficulties in living out their faith. You've got to do some battle. And that's what he says. You have fought and you have overcome. The challenges came. You kept going. It was a struggle but you overcome, you have seen it. So he encourages them in that. And then fathers, it's like he says to them, you're experienced, you really know Jesus. You've been with him for a long time. Maybe some of them had even known, like John, Jesus, while he walked in the flesh. You, you get who he is. And so what he's saying is, you are the people who walk in the commands of the Lord and who seek to love the brethren. Now let me just then apply this to you and just encourage you to think of yourselves in this way. Unless, of course, you fail the test. But 
the expectation is that you are going to pass the test. Think about it. When it comes to the commands of God, are you not here listening to the Bible because you want to know what it means to serve the Lord? You you have come here this morning. You could have been doing a lot of other things. Many other people did not want to get up today. But you came because you wanted to hear the word of God. Because it is in your heart to follow the commands of God. And what happens when you don't? Do you not see grief in yourself? Do you not see a desire to walk in the ways of the Lord? Are you not confessing your sins? You are the people who are obeying the commands of God, as John has described it here. And think about love. It's obvious. You're here. Why? Not just because you love the word of God, but because you love this people. You've stuck with them through many different trials. And you love them and you've served them. And you've cared about them. You've been concerned about them. You've prayed for them. You stick around after church and you talk to them. And you go out to lunch with them. And you sign up for a four by four with them. And you get in a small group with them. And when there's a need, you give to that need. Are you not the people who walk in the light and love the brothers and sisters? That is what John would want us to see. Not to be discouraged, but to be encouraged. That we know him. And that we love the brethren, and so we know the Lord. We have come to know Jesus, and we are his followers, and so heirs of eternal life. And so, my friends, as you think about this, be encouraged. This is you. You are walking in the light. Children, your sins are forgiven. Young men, you've overcome. Fathers, you really know him. And this should encourage you. You are living in fellowship with God and man. And so let's take that and lean into it by making it a higher priority to know, do the will of God and to throw off everything that would keep us from loving our neighbor. That's how it is to know him and to live as the people of light. Amen.